midday at the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan, where an American astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts are sitting atop the 160-foot-tall Soyuz booster, ready to launch. You're listening to Misty Radio on WMUR Cambridge 88.1 FM, a show that connects MIT to the world. I'm your host, Sanaya Samson-Hill. On today's show, we have some audio from an event co-sponsored by our MIT Russia program and the MIT Aero-Astro Department, featuring a NASA astronaut. You may have remembered a past episode of ours that featured astronaut-turned-investor Bernard Harris. But now we have an astronaut who will share the benefits of learning Russian as a space explorer. Edward Michael Fink graduated from MIT in 1989. He then joined NASA as an astronaut in 1996. He spent a total of 381 days in orbit. He's currently training for the first crew flight on Boeing CST-100 Starliner spacecraft. The vehicle will provide round-trip crew transportation services to the International Space Station and, along with SpaceX's Crew Dragon, restart the U.S. space launches. Fink is also fluent in Russian and Japanese, and his Russian skills have been pretty useful in being an astronaut. In this episode, we will share why. Fink was interviewed by Piper Segrist, a 2018 AeroAstro graduate, a third-year aerospace engineering PhD candidate at the University of Michigan, and an aspiring astronaut who's been studying Russia since their time at MIT. So here's Piper Segrist talking with Edward Michael Fink. You have a very unique experience of flying both on the Russian Soyuz for Expeditions 9 and 18, as well as the American shuttle for STS-134. What was it like flying on each of those spacecraft? Yeah, for a while there, I was like one a very special person because I got to fly on two different space uh, spacecraft, and now I'll, I'll be one of the first in a long time to fly on on three. So, uh, uh, and, and it's that richness of experience. So the uh, the Soyuz was designed in the 1960s. It was uh, kind of a uh, an answer to the Apollo program. Soyuz originally, the original variation was uh, going to go fly to the moon. Uh, it it uh, Things changed. It became a Soyuz T for taxi to uh, early Soviet space stations. Then it became TM because M was modernized. Uh, they even you know, slipped in a, a digital computer, which was pretty cool. And then we made it TMA for anthropomorphized. Uh, in other words, put in a glass cockpit so taller people could fit in. But as a, uh, uh, I'm not a Russian uh, uh, by uh, genetics, but I have the Russian uh, Soviet uh, uh, physiotype from the 1960s male. I don't smoke or drink as, as much as those guys did, but uh, I definitely fit into the Soyuz very well. So for me, it was a nice, comfortable ride uh, uh, both times. Uh, and yeah, I launched off of Yuri Gagarin's launch pad. How cool is that? I mean, it, you know, when I was growing up and when I was at the Institute, was no way that Americans and Soviets were ever going to get along and do these things. So now we're now we're great partners in space. We're, we still got some issues on the ground. Uh, I hope we work through those. But launching off of Yuri Gagarin's launch pad was really cool. And uh, so it was uh, really a surreal experience. Uh, the whole launch experience is, is amazing. But I'll, I'll, I'll cut you guys in on a secret. It's only it only lasts about somewhere between eight and ten minutes, no matter which rocket you, you launch on. So it goes by fast. And 
and uh, you know, but it's uh, it was really amazing. And uh, being uh, in, on a mission with your friends is really cool. So launching on Soyuz was pretty nice. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Soyuz rocket uh, based on the R7 uh, that Korolev started with uh, Gagarin. Uh, well, uh, be, before then it was intercontinental ballistic missile, but then we put Sputnik and then Gagarin. That's why everyone launches off the same launch pad because that's how it's built. So we uh, was really smooth. Uh, it's a pure liquid rocket engine uh, engines with boosters and everything. We had great staging, and before we knew it, we were in orbit. Uh, space shuttle different it was designed the post you know apollo soyuz kind of era and uh, it had these big solid rocket boosters on the side and uh, they made a lot of noise and a lot of vibration for the first uh, two minutes and 10 seconds i believe and then uh, once the solid rocket boosters peeled off uh off we went and we call it uh, uh, the electric ride but soyuz was electric so to speak, all the way up, and uh, we we had a nice smooth ride on the shuttle afterwards. Uh, again, both were were just super um, amazing experiences. Uh, space shuttle had a lot of legroom. Uh, it was like flying in, in first class in terms of the amount of legroom you had. Uh, so you use uh, I call it economy, maybe, uh, but it, it it didn't matter. You were you weren't you weren't you weren't that inconvenienced. In fact, it's a lot longer to fly to Russia than it is to fly to orbit from the United States. Could you tell us a little bit about your Russian language studies and how you've used it as an astronaut? Yeah, so great, great, great question. So, so uh, boy, I'm, I'm really glad that I had that opportunity at, at MIT. They made me take another language and uh, I didn't know, I didn't speak any other languages growing up. So um, I picked uh, Russian language uh, because at that time there was Soviet Union and the Soviets uh, were doing super well in space. Space station Mir had just launched uh, and it, it was, uh, and it was a very mysterious thing at the time we didn't know the names of the rockets we didn't know you know how they were built and uh, we just saw success after success in soviet uh in the post you know apollo era uh with the in the kind of you call a space station era and uh, in the 1980s and uh, so that intrigued me i said maybe someday we'll, our two countries america and uh and soviet union will work together and uh so i studied russian language uh, i was very fortunate that ed crawley uh, uh, Professor Crawley at, at Aeroastro, uh, he opened the doors. Uh, this was during uh, a period of, of glasnost uh, in uh, Soviet Union, uh, Tavarish, what do you call, Premier Gorbachev had opened the doors a little bit and MIT and the Moscow Aviation Institute, Mayi, had, uh, uh, had a summer program, very first one ever, and it was kind of experimental. And uh, Professor Crawley, being the genius that he is, he put a, uh, put a, uh, a note up on in the halls of the Aeroastro area and it was all in the Russian language so if you could read it you knew what it said and you could show up at the meeting uh, for a possibility so I spent a summer in uh, 1989 uh, one of the last summers of Soviet Union uh, in uh, in Moscow and uh, what a neat experience and uh, I apologize to the Russian uh, language department uh, for my deplorable and horrible uh, Russian language skills I uh, was a very mediocre student and uh, the letter grade that we give to mediocre students is like C and I think that was pretty much the only C's that I got at, uh, at MIT but it was worth every every bit on it however for me uh, as an experiential learner uh, sitting there and talking with my friends and I do appreciate Pushkin's poetry but uh, in nominative, nominative and dative cases and all those things, those are super important. If anyone asks, that's what I said. But 
for me, that's not how I, I, I learned best. I sat around with my friends uh, and literally tea, not, not, that's not a euphemism. Uh, you know, when you know, I was only 18, 19, 20, those kind of things, we drank tea and we, uh, we talked and talked about rockets and airplanes and, and Soviet Union and United States and everything. And that, uh, uh, that uh, repetition is the mother of learning. So that's, uh, that's how we, uh, uh, that's how I learned. And by the end of the, the several months in Soviet Union, I came out <laughs> and, and not, uh, not able to, to stop. That skill uh, was on my resume when I applied to the uh, NASA astronaut office in uh, 1996. And uh, they, that's exactly when the Soviet Union had, uh, had fallen, uh, changed, collapsed, reorganized, however you want to uh, call it. Uh, there's a lot of different words. Uh, none of them are, are exact, but the uh, Soviet Union uh, was no longer and the United States and Russia in the uh, early 1990s decided to be friends and partners in space. And uh, we started the shuttle Mir program or Mir shuttle. And then uh, we, which was phase one of the International Space Station. And we were, my class was hired to help build and fly the International Space Station and having Russian language as a, um, as in my resume was super helpful. So Professor Crawley, if you're out there listening, thanks. Uh, I couldn't have done it without you. Uh, so being able to uh, express oneself in any language is super important. And uh, I fit in uh, in the post-Soviet Russia uh, era, and I was able to help build the International Space Station, then got sent to Star City and trained. And uh, because I could talk and understand, I uh, was uh, promoted to be able to fly on the left seat of Soyuz. And I did six training programs, lots of backups because they needed somebody that could do it, and uh, then fly uh, twice on, on the Soyuz. And again, because... Uh, People who can talk and understand and, and comprehend and show and demonstrate their uh, you know, they're 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 easier to work with. I uh, was uh, I was trusted to fly in uh, uh, Orlan uh, spacesuit uh, and for um, you know um, for six Russian spacewalks, which was super cool. That's so cool. <laughs> That's you know something that I've seen in the Museum of Cosmonautics is uh, Orlan the spacesuit sitting there, and so to think that. You know, an American astronaut has had that opportunity. That's just absolutely fantastic. You know what? My picture is actually in that museum, and I didn't feel old until I heard that. <laughs> I apologize. I definitely did not mean to make you feel old. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't feel old uh, at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it time goes by quickly, young Piper. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So it sounds like you've had the chance then to use Russian language um, in training and obviously on, on ISS then as well and during launches and things. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, there's even uh, it's, it's, it's kind of strange. Uh, it's, it's this isn't a brag, but this is this mm -hmm. is something to help make up for my C's in Russian language was um, uh we teach, uh, we have our, our new astronauts uh, when they come through. And uh, since 1996, we've had a, a, a quite a few of Russian language instructors uh, to help my colleagues and myself too. I availed myself of, of service because if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, 
to uh, improve myself in Russian language. Uh, so we have a Russian language instructors and they put together a course and uh, some of them uh, in terms of good examples, not bad examples is I've given interviews and, you know, and in, uh, in Russian TV and things like that. And, uh, and it was, uh, and uh, I listened back and it's like, Hey, there's a nominative and genitive and dative, all that. The, the endings are not too bad, or maybe not perfect, but pretty good. And uh, so, uh, so that's, uh, yeah, I feel quite comfortable with the Russian language and I, feel comfortable uh, flying spacecraft in Russian language. Again, uh, uh, War and Peace and some of Pushkin will be, may be lost on me, but that's why I call it conversational and not fluent. But I bet right. I can grade up to a B now. I'll never forget in my own study abroad, I was talking with um, one of the students that I was leading the workshop for and um, we were at a bookstore and he kept giving me different books at various reading levels to try and figure out my reading level. And um, well, Maria, if you're here, you'll have to forgive me, but I think we figured out I have like a kindergarten reading level in Russian. So there's <laughs> there's always work to be done and, and things to be improved for sure. Was it so uh, obviously, you know, you did your your study abroad in, in Russia at the Moscow Aviation Institute, which must have just been fantastic. Um, and you've also worked in Russia as well as an astronaut and helping to design the ISS and launch that up into orbit. What was it like working in Russia in the space sector in particular? Um. It's uh, well, anybody who's been to uh, Russia, it's a different place. Right. Uh, and actually, my very first foreign country was Soviet Union. Uh, so I didn't know what to expect uh, in traveling abroad. I, uh, so the uh, having you know, so for me, Moscow always feels um, quite uh, comfortable uh, because uh, I can read. Uh, I can talk. Uh, I know how things work. Um, they keep changing the method of paying for the metro. We used to use five Kopec pieces, then they went to little tickets. Now there's cards. Uh, none of that bothers me. And I feel comfortable there because it's 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 not uh, scary because I can read and talk. And I can imagine for those who come in uh, who, ha- who don't have the background, uh, you know, seeing a different alphabet and uh, uh, and what can be perceived as a, as a kind of a scary place. And the you know, Soviet Union was a little bit scary from an American perspective uh, in the in the during Cold War. Uh, you can find that it's a, a really great, beautiful city, especially in the summertime. I enjoy the wintertime too, with uh, fantastic people and uh, just uh, amazing things. So, getting to uh, first work and live in Moscow, especially in the late 1990s, it was a little bit wild west. And then, uh, and then moving to Star City and spending time with folks who who uh, came before me. So, uh, uh, but then uh, to spend time with instructors and study things that I totally, too, truly care about, uh, you know, how to fly spacecraft and learning new words. And it was just, uh, it was just, uh, it's a joy. And anytime I get a chance to, to go back to Russia or Kazakhstan and spend time with my, my, my colleagues and friends uh, is, 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 a, is, a, is a joy. And it's, uh, um, I was really glad to have that opportunity. Things are moving a little bit away from our heyday of, of working closely with the Russians on building space station. Uh, I personally think that we need to, um, as we go to the moon, that's the next big thing at NASA, um, you know, the Artemis project. Uh, we're already working uh, with our some of our international partners from space station, and we need to find a way to work with our, our uh, Russian colleagues. Uh, uh, that partnership is a deep partnership, and uh, any person who understands human culture, but also especially the Russian culture, the bonds uh, 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 take a long time to forge, but once you do, they're 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 very deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. 
you very much for sharing that. Um, so I'd actually like to to build off that idea a little bit of, you know, how the relationship between like U.S. and the Russia may be changing in the future, um, and particularly between NASA and Roscosmos. You know, they've for such a long time worked together to safely send our astronauts and cosmonauts up into orbit with commercial crew becoming more prevalent and uh, Crew Dragon and CST-100 sort of taking over. Uh, do you see any sorts of relationships forming between SpaceX and Boeing and private companies and Roscosmos or I guess, how do you see those relationships sort of panning out in the future? Yeah, so we have a, we at NASA, we have a, um, a, a strong desire to continue working with our, our Russian partners. And it's a, it's, it's a little bit tricky, right? So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll explain it, but the, the big picture is uh, you can't have all your eggs in one basket. We kind of had all, all of our eggs in one basket um, in the early 2000s when we were still building space station. In fact, we, um, we would we were planning on rotating all of our space station crews using space shuttle. Unfortunately, in 2003, uh, we lost Columbia. My friends were on board, classmates. Um, I still miss them terribly. Um, we uh, we the Americans were without a, a way to get to space, and then our Russian partners stepped up and said, uh, as as true partners, again these these, these relationships uh, can be very strong, uh, forged deeply, and uh, we uh, they offered us rides uh, on Soyuz, and uh, and we found that that was a more um, reliable or shall we say regularly schedulable uh, way to get into space uh, than the space shuttle. And so we moved it to the space shuttle was uh, more for assembly missions and crew rotations became on, on Soyuz first out of necessity, then just out of practicality. Uh, we learned that lesson at NASA and uh, even, and so one way to counter that is that we have both uh, a, a crew dragon and a Starliner. So we have SpaceX and Boeing to get to space as Americans. So if there was something wrong uh, uh, or some kind of technical difficulty with SpaceX, we have Boeing. If Boeing doesn't work, we got SpaceX. In addition, we know that things uh, are, are that variable and we value uh, we value the partnership too at NASA. So we are trying to trade seats. So we would say, all right, uh, we will always put an American aboard the Soyuz and uh, and a Russian aboard one of our, we call them USCVs. Uh, that means the United States crew vehicle. So uh, a Boeing Starliner or, or uh, dra uh, crew Dragon. Um, so the uh, so the current plan is to try to do that. The Russians are smart. They say, "Hey, you're still experimental. You only have a couple flights. We're not going to jump on the uh, we're not going to jump on the Crew Dragon quite yet. But after three or four flights, let's talk about it." Of course, if if any of you have ever done uh, negotiations with uh, Russians, uh, the answer first answer is always "yet," and with Americans, we're always trying to say "yes" right away and uh, give away things or not give away things, but uh, belie our our position. So we're, we were perceived as horrible negotiators because you're not supposed to say yes right away. So uh, I think we're going to figure this one out. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's great news, um, especially as someone, you know, who obviously loves both space and Russian culture. I think uh, that would be really good to have that relationship preserved moving forward. Do you think that Americans and American astronauts will still learn Russian language and use it on the job as astronauts? Yeah, I, I uh, certainly hope so. And we certainly uh, do that. And I'm trying to uh, understand my my management and see if that is out of momentum or if that's out of uh, pure strategy. And uh, so the uh, I think it's uh, strategic uh, for us to do it. And 
Uh, be, but I think part of it is also momentum. Since all the other previous astronauts had to learn Russian, those of uh, those astronauts who weren't so lucky uh, to know it ahead of time, uh, they uh, um, they still do. The official language aboard the International Space Station is English, and that's not an American imperialism. That is uh, an agreement that when we had space station freedom, the Japanese only wanted to learn one new language. The Europeans, it's often hard for them to agree among themselves. So it's easy to pick kind of an outside language. Uh, uh, and so and English is, is kind of the ir- ironic, isn't it? The lingua franca of, uh, of, of science and technology at this moment in history. So uh, we're supposed to only speak uh, English aboard space station. Our Russian cosmonauts, they try hard, uh, but it's not always, uh, not always successful. And I found uh, like on my first mission, uh, I only spoke Russian. My Russian uh, commander, he only spoke English. There were only two of us. And uh, we had a grand old time. So I think it's good that we continue studying a Russian language. I also think that that's uh, as we move forward into the not the deep future, but the near future, uh, we might want to study other languages, too. And uh, and so I, I like, for example, uh, China is establishing itself in space. So having a, a background in that language would also be be helpful. Um, but I, I think uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, the first country uh, to go to space was uh, Soviet Union and Russia is, is carrying the mantle of, of that along with a few other Soviet partners like Kazakhstan where the launch site is and things like that. But uh, Russian language is uh, has been part of space program and will continue to be part of space program. So if you have to learn another language, Russian is one. And even if you don't have to, you should. I agree. It's been, I don't know, so personally like fulfilling for me as well as professionally. Um, and I love to hear you and the, the ISS commander speaking in, in the opposite languages. It's like a really have to say that you are out of this world conversation partners. Uh, yeah, it did freak people out because they would they, they go like that. And, uh, and of course, he has a little bit of a, a Russian accent. My accent, no matter how hard I try, comes out to be a little bit American. Oh, and it's, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a joy. And, and we showed that, uh, you know, we could get along in space. Why can't we get along here on good old planet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our pale blue dot. That's fantastic. We are just six and a half minutes away from launch, continuing to hear comms uh, between the Soyuz commander, Oleg Novitsky, and the blockhouse engineers down there at Baikonur. As you can see, the crew has closed their visors. That's Novitsky on the bottom of your screen. He's in the center. And so, Mike, you know, I'm really curious what advice you would give to MIT students or any student in general who's interested in a career in aerospace or as an astronaut. Yeah, free advice. You get what you pay for. Uh, so, uh, so we are really at a cool period in history and you can look back and say, no, no, Apollo was cool. It was, oh no, space station, really cool. It is. But, uh, we're, we're at a place where, you know, so far, no matter how hard we've tried, it's been 60 years since people have have launched into space and we're only in the five hundreds. Uh, maybe we might touch 600 this year of people, uh, that, that have been to space. And again, depends what you want to call been to space. Do you have to do an orbit or not? Uh, if 
if you get a chance to go see Earth from high above, you will appreciate our beautiful planet, the most beautiful in the solar system. You will appreciate it even more. So this is a, a, a grand and great thing for humans to do with our energies instead of fighting each other, but to uh, but to work together and working together in space is awesome. So we're in a great we're in a great place because uh, we've opened up the doors to industry. We have uh, ways to get into space that aren't uh, going through the government bottleneck. And I'm not saying anything bad about it. I'm just saying that's exactly how it's supposed to work. We opened the doors and now industry is coming through. We have companies like uh, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Sierra Nevada, Boeing, um, all having a chance to take us to space and new companies out there, new rockets coming online. And if you are a, a student who loves air and space, you know, course 16, you should consider it. There are so many things to learn and then you can take that knowledge directly. And of course, um, even though the you know, uh, globalization was uh, something of the 2010s and we're in the 2020s now, it's still a thing. And, uh, and uh, working together uh, with partners from all across the planet are definitely ways that we're gonna go to the moon and Mars. And so you should, you should be aware of other cultures, you should be aware of other languages. And again, the more you know, the more opportunity you have. And потому что я могу говорить по-русски, спасибо за била какая-то программа обмен студентами со Советским Союзом давно-давно, because I had the opportunity to uh, speak, because I could speak Russian, there was opportunity to go to Soviet Union, be exchange student. It opened the door for NASA. I was the youngest guy in my class. I got hired right away. You'll hear stories of really smart and wonderful, handsome and beautiful people, you know, waiting five times to going through five interviews just to finally get their NASA job. I got it right away. And by the way, NASA is not the only way to become astronaut anymore. So the, this is beautiful time to be in space. Study hard, look at the opportunities, get experience, get operational experience and keep up your design chops and uh, you'll go far. Спасибо. Thank you very much for the advice. По-моему, ваш акцент очень хорошо. I think your accent is great. Ничего. And I think what you said segued beautifully into this, but as a student of both Russian and uh, aerospace, you know, I'm always looking for new ways to sort of intersect these two passions and, and combine them in my career and, and what I do every day. What advice or recommendations do you have for students in similar shoes? Yeah, so um, there, there again. There's a lot of opportunities out there, and 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 to actively look for them and 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 find them. Find uh, what inspires you, right? So for me, it was rocket engines and space systems design and actual oper space operations. Uh, so that's where I studied. Uh, put my uh, uh, studies. I liked I liked space and I liked airplanes, and so I've uh, had a chance to you know aviate a lot with the uh, with the Air Force. And uh, and for me, it was aeronautics and astronautics and that's not way for everyone else there's also a way to combine your your foreign language studies and and studies abroad and and that really brings a, a depth of knowledge uh to uh to uh uh, to your resume and, and to your CV where you can actually you know, be able to really help build something new. And uh, there is a joy in being an engineer where you take something that's a, an idea, a dream, and you make it into reality. And uh, that's, a, that's a joy that uh, the Aero Astro Department and the School of Engineering have been sharing. Uh, but the Russian language studies have uh, helped us to do that, uh, not just in one language, but in many. So, uh, so take, take advantage of the opportunities. 
And we see booster ignition. Engines at maximum thrust. And liftoff. Soyuz MS-18 on its way to the International Space Station. This C-Radio is a production of MIT International Science and Technology Initiatives. You can listen to us on WMBR Cambridge 88.1 FM or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Those four first-stage boosters and the single core engine. Thirty seconds into the flight, the uh, parameters of the booster are nominal. Everything is fine on board. Forty seconds, uh, the vehicle is stable. Everything is good on board. Continuing to hear good performance calls. A quick look inside the capsule. You can see the crew strapped in and monitoring displays as they continue on their way uphill. Just past the one-minute mark into flight. Seventy seconds into the flight, everything is nominal. Uh, we are good on board. At this point, the space station already flown over the Baikonur Cosmodrome and now making its way in front of the Soyuz spacecraft. Roughly 90 seconds into flight, the Soyuz rocket already moving more than 2,100 miles per hour, already about 10, ran, 10 miles downrange. The flight of parameters of the booster are nominal. The crew is feeling well at 10 foot is four, unintelligible. Okay, if you received the message about the casual parameters, copy. And right on time, we see first stage separation, the Koryov cross, those four strap-on boosters separating. Now the single core stage continuing to power the Soyuz spacecraft into flight. Copy. Just before that, the launch escape tower was also jettisoned. Soyuz does maintain escape capability all the way to flight, though, with this stage able to use uh, for a short time, uh, small boosters on the shroud itself. And then once the shroud detaches, to use boosters on the spacecraft. Uh, so the shroud jettison is confirmed. We have controlled descent. So we heard confirmation the launch shroud has jettisoned in this animation. You can see the Soyuz spacecraft now exposed, continuing under the power of the second stage.